Hi there, Simon Baldock here again with another episode of Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. A look back at my life in radio and TV and the many, many people that I've interviewed during that time, uh, including actors, musicians, royals, politicians and members of the public. Anyone, in fact, who had an interesting story to tell. Plus all the amazing places I've been to and the fascinating experiences I've had and all because I was lucky enough to work in the media. Now this week it's the start of another series of interviews with a with a common thread running through them. These are all musicians and singers this time that I've been lucky enough to chat to over the years. And we start with a lady who comes from my neck of the woods in the UK, the county of Essex, and the lady concerned is singer-songwriter Alison Moyer, noted for her powerful bluesy voice. Uh, she came to prominence as one half of the duo Yazoo, but mainly worked as a solo artist. Her worldwide album sales have reached 23 million, with over 2 million singles sold. All nine of her studio albums and three compilation albums have charted in the top 30 of the UK album charts, with two of them reaching number one. And she's also achieved nine top 30 singles and six top 10 hits on the UK singles chart. I was lucky enough to be invited to a recording studio in around 2004 and interviewed her about her new album at the time, which was called Voice. The interview is notable for the fact that halfway through, I didn't realise that the tape recorder had somehow switched itself off. So when I got back to the studio, I was crestfallen to find out the whole section that I really wanted to talk to her about had been lost. Well, it hadn't really even started. So I called her agent and asked if there was any way that Alison could nip into a studio somewhere and complete the interview. In truth, I didn't really think that she would, but I must have made a very good impression on her because she managed to find half an hour to pop into a studio and we finished the interview down the line. How nice was that? So let's start with this lengthy interview and she begins by talking about her career after Yazoo. Yazoo came to to an end after about what 2 years? 18 months. 18 months. Yeah. yeah. Was it a natural ending or or was it just meant to be? No, Vince had had enough. You know, he'd had enough of working with me. <laughs> he did. And, fair, you know, that's, that's okay. And I do understand that because it's like, this was his thing. You know, if he, Vince could have sung, he would have sung. But but he couldn't, so he needed a singer. And it must be tough when you've made yourself famous. You've pulled somebody in and suddenly they've got an opinion, you know. So I can understand that it was difficult for him. But he had enough and didn't want to work with me anymore. And, and I was kind of... I was gutted. I was quite gutted by it. You can imagine. Well, yeah, it's like this was my kind of... I, I didn't know anyone in the music industry. I, I hadn't kind of made connections and yeah. I didn't really quite know what to do next. I didn't want it to end. It had only just started, you know, but, but I had to deal with it. So what did you do? So then uh, uh, I very foolishly met a, a lawyer. <laughs> I was introduced to a lawyer who uh, insisted that I, I, uh, I look elsewhere for a deal, which I should never have done. I should have stayed at Mute. But because I didn't have relationships there and I didn't know anyone, there was no one to kind of pull me in really, you know. So I just made some stupid business moves, ended up signing to Sony and selling millions of records. <laughs> <laughs> selling millions of records. It can't be bad though, can it? It isn't bad, no. In, in you know, there's the good side and the bad side. The good side is that now I can sit here today and make whatever kind of record I want to make without worrying about the income because I don't have an expensive taste, a, a lifestyle, and and I don't need to work. You know, the downside of it is, is at a very young age you're 
defined as a certain thing and when you want to evolve as you do when you grow up do you know what I mean that uh, you know when you're hearing 24 no that's not an Alison Moyer record that's incredibly frustrating because it's like you know do I have to be who I was at at 21 when I hated being 21 you know life only started for me in my 30s really Uh, your first solo album was there a lot of pressure on you to you know create a, a successful album no, I can't say that there was really. It was just kind of expected. When I signed to Sony, I was I had a number one with Yazoo. The album was number one at the time. And they introduced me to some writers. And I'd never really done this process before. I mean, I'd done the process that we, with Vince either been, he'd played me a song on a guitar or I'd play him a song on a guitar. That was it. Never had, had I kind of co-written really, you know, uh, I'd done a couple of things with Vince, but not not seriously sat down and co-written. So when the, um, they introduced me to Swain and Jolly, and uh, I was planning to start the Alf album, it was uh, the the exciting thing for me then was just the whole process. You know, sitting down at a table with a couple of guys and we were jamming and we came up with these songs really quickly. You know, so I never really thought about what the album was going to do or what it was going to mean. Uh, it was just just the the creative process that was interesting. And um, the 80s were a good time for you you had you know Alf was a, a huge success and uh, you also played at Live Aid with Paul Young just describe what that was like Live Aid was incredible first of all I'm the sort of person you catch me in a good mood I'll say yes you catch me in a bad mood I say no so I got the phone call came in there's this charity they're doing a charity thing there's you know a, a concert do you would, would you like to play it and I said well I don't have a band together at the moment. well Paul, Paul Young's there and he, we're, we're stable mates uh, you could do a couple of songs with him I said um, yeah okay fine and they said it's going to be at Wembley and I thought it was going to be Wembley um, Arena you know and I you know because I don't look into things deeply I'm not one of these people that kind of researches it and knows you know I, I don't think in terms of of uh, how it's going to sell my future records it's just it's a charity dude just you fancy doing it yeah I'll do it I don't want to do any of my own records because it looks like you're flogging your own stuff on somebody else's money which I think is a bit naff you know so I'll go along there and and sing a song so I, I I turn up and then there's a helicopter there and I think why do we need a helicopter to go to to go to the you know the arena you know and then it took me to the stadium which I'd never been before and it was the str- I had no idea the size of this thing I hadn't read up on it I hadn't looked up on it nothing you know and then to kind of get out of the the helicopter and standing in front of me is Roger Daltrey and you know you've got Freddie Mercury and all these people are waving and saying hi and I'm kind of looking behind me thinking who's just arrived you know and it was the strangest thing to see the most famous people, and I don't even just mean your your contemporaries. I'm talking about that generation before when you were a punter, you know, and to, to see those kind of people all mucking in together, and uh, it was phenomenal. But I did what I always did, which was do my job, get me a done, go home again, and never socialised. Which you know, in some ways, is a real shame because there are a lot of people inviting me to a lot to do lots of fun things. I just uh, I, at that stage of my life, I was just too reclusive and found it too difficult. But what an experience to be involved in something like that. One of the biggest concerts, you know, ever put on. It must have been brilliant. Well, it was, but like I say, I, I, the awareness of it didn't happen till afterwards. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be, you know, like, you know, like you do them all the time. You, you pop along and do something for charity, you know. I, you know, I, I didn't read up on it. Like I say, I, I, I wouldn't look at something like that to see how it was going to benefit me. It was just shocking to find out it was so big, you know. You went to America as well, didn't you? How did, how did that work out? Well, America's a funny one, you know, because you need to do so much work out there. And uh, there was a couple of times where it was kind of open for me to certainly uh, start the ladder. But I, I had, I got pregnant very early on in my career, you know, just even before the Alf album came out. And so I had to kind of make my choices. And my choices were that I couldn't be the kind of person that would spend a year or two that you need to do in America when I got family at home, you know. Um, was it difficult being a, a performer and, and a mum? Could you split your time? <laughs> 
no, it was tough. And I, I imagined when I was pregnant, it's fine. You know, you go and do TV, you have the baby with you. Then when I'm actually on, the, I'm only on the screen for three minutes, someone else can hold the child, you know. But then you don't realise there's things like insurance. They don't have insurance to have a baby, and so you're not allowed to have the baby in the room with you. So then you have to have somebody else there. And then there's the night times because you've still got to work at the night times, you know. And then I, I, tra- I toured for one year with my son when he was up to, he was uh, about one and a half. But then he was getting to the age where he wanted to mix with other children, and you're seeing him in a hotel room one day, every single day, thinking, you know, as much as I like to think, God, this is really important for him. He's with his mother. He's not with his mother because I'm still working. He's just sitting in a hotel room on his own, you know, with a, with a nanny. Um, and so, yeah, I had to decide that that uh, the kids had to come first. And I'm not saying that to, to be noble. It's just that the way I was brought up, children were looked after by their parents, and, and that's the way you do it. You, you kind of you you want to keep on working. It's just the kind of work that you can do. So I knew that I couldn't tour extensively. I could go away for two weeks, maybe at a shot, and then come home again, which isn't really conducive for this kind of job. When something's got legs, you have to run with it. Otherwise, the time's gone. The minute's gone, you know. Uh, I then had the, period, the the problem of the record company wanting me to make a certain kind of record that I didn't want to make and not let me in the studio and that took up years of kind of backing and forward and backing and forward. Then when I did finally get into the studio and made the record that I wanted to make, they didn't they didn't feel there was enough singles on it. I felt it was right as it was, you know, because let's face it, by that stage I was well into my 30s and, and trying to appeal to a 12-year-old. I don't understand why you'd want to, you know. Um, not knocking 12-year-olds, I was one myself, but, but it, it, you know, the, but cultures for for ages you know they're they're different they're they're all different you know tell me about Essex the album Essex um well Essex kind of like came about in much the same way that all the other albums came about that that you write songs you make a you you choose a producer and you you get to make it Uh, I suppose you're wondering why I called it Essex it was just one of those stages in my life where I kind of I resented really really resented the uh the references that were put onto Essex and all people Essex you know uh, I, 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 I've I've toured England and I can tell you I've seen a damn sight more white high heels than I've seen in Essex <laughs> you know what I mean in red car for example <laughs> but uh, it, it just it I, I just hated that I, I, I hated the, the way the women were put down that the that we're all supposed to be thick Tories and uh, and I just I just wanted to, to, to put my name to something and, and, and say it proud you know did you get any uh, response from people that live in Essex um no, I'll tell you what I did get, though, which was quite funny, was I got a, a lot of very angry mail from some people abroad who assumed that the Essex and the postcode on the front was my address and sent me loads of mail there, oh. <laughs> which uh, incredibly did get redirected to me, you know, but uh, they were all saying, you've given us this address to write to, and now you're not responding to us. You think, oh, dear. <laughs> no. Do you go back to Essex a lot? Do you still have family there? Yeah, um, I have my brother who lives in Benfleet and my sister in Billericay and my parents still in Landon. Yeah. And South End Football Club, um, you support them? I do support South End. I uh, used to go very, very regularly and haven't been for a few seasons, sadly, not since my youngest was uh, born, because that kind of like, we had a real problem with babysitting, because it's like a 100-mile round trip, and, and then the children needed various places they need dropping off, so we'd be leaving at 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd be getting home at 9 o'clock at night, you know. It was tough, and then when my middle daughter got to the age where she needed kind of ferrying around to her Saturday clubs, you know, Again, you have to make your decision, and it's like I feel like, okay, I, I, I can't be here when I'm working, but I can put them before my leisure time. Let's bring you up to date now and talk about the album Voice. Very, very different. Uh, it is different, but then uh, I think all of the albums have been different. You know, it's yeah. always it's always been about this journey, always about trying to find kind of different things to do. For, you know, first of all, I was trying to find different ways of writing, and now I've got to the point where I'm trying to find different ways of using my voice as an instrument, you know. 
And that's in some ways easier done on other people's songs even than your own. When you write yourself, it's very possible for you to write around your weaknesses and to uh, to just play on the kind of like the cheap tricks. For example, people always get impressed if you sing loud and, you know, a big, loud, long note. And personally for me they're very easy to do it's this the really sustained stuff that's 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 difficult and uh i wanted not to be able to fall for my cheap tricks i wanted not to be able to hide behind uh, anything i wanted to have to really tackle the, the music as a musician and and see if i could master it there are some real classics on the album i was listening it listening to it this morning and uh, one of the the tracks that um i like the most i suppose is um crimea river yeah which i think's got you know, a lot of meaning for you well, it's not so much that the song has such a lot of meaning for me, but what, the, but but it does. <laughs> but well, that's kind of a story of my my old girlfriend uh, Kim, who I met instantly outside our councillor estate in Basden. Uh, we both lived on the same estate when I was seven. Ended up both going to the same senior school, and at sixteen she came on holiday to visit my granddad in in France, and uh, we always used to together sing arm in arm late at night, you know, in in t- Basden town centre, and uh, and that's what we used to do, and and we'd sing again on on this beach, and then a couple of years ago she and I went to the the same beach we had when we were 16 and we're both in our 40s now with our children about at night and she started singing this song and her daughter started singing the song we just all sit on this empty beach and it's just a happy you know being with her always makes me happy because it's it it it, it, it it reminds me of who I am before all the things that happened to you, you know, all the knocks and things that happened to you, who you were as a kid, the, the true essence of you and uh, just joyful. Do you enjoy fame? No. No, I, uh, I, I, I was a rubbish pop star. Do you know what I mean? I, I was, I was awkward with it. I assumed if anybody came up to me on the street, it was to be negative. I just didn't, you know, I didn't handle it well, and uh, it was wasted on me. Yeah. yeah. What about all the people, you know, striving for fame nowadays? What advice would you give to them? I would say that fame in itself is a really, really dodgy thing to to search for. If there's something that you have that is wonderful and you want a stage to put it on fair enough then you should strive to do that but but to to want to be famous in itself if you have nothing to back it up is it can be nasty i mean it can be really nasty and and people can really resent you for it and uh and it can be very hollow it's a hollow thing on its own you know it's just it's just people to point fingers at you really yeah the future um where would you like to see yourself in sort of 10 years time still recording uh I don't know, because every time I've kind of done an album, I th- just just before I did this album, I thought, that's it, I've had enough now. I've really had enough, you know. Uh, I, I, I kind of want to focus on my family or go to college or paint or just do mm-hmm. something, you know. But, you know, because I suppose that was my one big chip on the shoulder that I left school completely unqualified, you know, and I was top set uh, for everything as well, which is a bit bizarre. But there you have it. And, uh, you know, there was didn't seem to be a great pass rate in our school. And um, like I say, you were expected to be the factory fodder, really. So I've kind of unfinished issues there, but um, no, I, f- I felt like knocking it on the head. But I thought no, because I, I really want to sing. That's I do really want to sing. So maybe one of the things I'd quite like to, I wouldn't mind joining a choir, doing some choral work, or just 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 local am- amateur singing because I love singing with other people, you know. Where do you live nowadays? Uh, I live in Hertfordshire. Oh right, yeah. It, yeah, it was a kind of a it was a quick move, and I, I it was my accountant at the time. So oh, you should go there, and I went, yeah, right, because I'm a really <laughs> terrible shopper. I am a yeah. rubbish shopper, and I don't like looking around. But uh, it was when I was in, in Basden, and I, when I, I uh, first got some money and left my parents' home, I, I bought a house um, two miles down the road, you know. Unfortunately, the milkman then started bringing people around and, uh, <laughs> tell him who you are, go on, tell him who you are. <laughs> and I had this nasty habit of being naked all the time when I was indoors on my own, and then you see all these kids hanging over your fence, and you go, oh, shame. So, okay, maybe it's time for me to move on now then. 
and the children are they following in your musical footsteps no it's well it's, it's, it's well my my son my oldest son's 19 at university now he's a computer scientist and uh just you know nothing like me in that 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 sense my my middle daughter wants to do musical theater she she likes the idea of that uh, but she's not particularly interested in pop music, you know, and my youngest one wants to be a pink, pig farmer. Oh, right. Yeah. And what do they think about having Alison Moyer as their mum? Well, I, I mean, my, my son's kind of used to it. They, they never make a big thing of it. They we don't listen to my records around the house or anything like that. But when they have been little and I've been out on the street and people have come up to me, they're really like, Mum, do you, do you know that person? Now, at this point, this is where the tape recorder packed up. And coming up is the completion of the interview, which we did down the line. And it starts by me talking about her stage debut. Now, Alison, I just want to take you back to the year 2001, when you, when you made your stage debut in Chicago. Yeah. How did that all come about? Well, that came about when I'd recorded the Hometime album and uh, for Sony, and they were refusing to release it or release me from my deal. And uh, this arguing and back and forth was going for ages and ages. And uh, it'd been more years where I'd been prevented from working. It was driving me crazy. I, I needed to have a job. You know, I needed to be with grown-ups and to, to, to contribute and be a part of a community. Mm. So a friend of mine told me that, because he knew how kind of withdrawn I was getting, and he said to me that uh, there'd be this job and I'd be able to have it without auditioning. And I'm like, yeah. Said, no, no, really? No, you don't have to audition. You just to go down they just want to say hi you know and, and yeah. it's yours so uh first of all he took me to to see the show and all the women came with their kit off you know and i'm thinking oh you are having a laugh <laughs> <laughs> and then my my the the role of the lady that comes on is kind of suited from neck to, to toe which kind of suited me fine so okay i understood what he was talking about and the yeah. songs were good so i agreed to go and meet them and as i walked in through the stage door they said oh hi you're here for the audition I went, ah! oh, no. <laughs> and I had to go out there and there was all the americans five rows back looking at you just like that you know like you see in the films and uh and I was scared, but either way, I got the job, and and I kind of felt trepidatious about it because kind of growing up in Basildon with, uh, you know, uh, punk rockers, m musicals were not something that we aspired to, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, and I, I and I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but it did turn out to be one of the best things that I did because. Um, for a start I was singing every day something I hadn't done since I was a teenager uh, I was part of a community without being the, the centre of attention or the star um, I, I got rid of any uh, sense of um, stage fright that I had because you know I was having to go on every day twice on Friday twice on Saturday sometimes I'd be playing to my fans uh, sometimes you'd be playing to uh, Japanese tourists who don't know you from Adam and and so you weren't always getting this constant affirmation you know all the time which was a really good thing because you learn to give a performance without ex except, uh, expecting to receive, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that's a, a, a really important learning curve. But more than anything, I just laughed every day and I found community and I, and it was the first time I'd really had a job, you know, from when I was a teenager where I had to be reliable and, yeah, and, yeah. and it was fabulous. And you were there, were you there with uh, Denise Van Alton? Yeah, Denise was there for, uh, I think, about a month, um, uh, uh, the month for her run. Uh, when I didn't realise that she was doing it because when I'd signed up to do the show, it was before uh, it had been publicised that Denise was in it. So, I was quite surprised when I actually went into it that, that she was there. And it must have been great to have another Essex girl with you. Well, she, yeah, she was lovely. And, you know, it's a shame because at the beginning of your run, you're so obsessed with learning your parts and, and kind of like not losing your voice. You, you, you're kind of more tense about it. So I would have been less sociable than I became later on when you kind of feel quite solid in what you're supposed to do. We didn't get a, a, a great opportunity to, to get to know each other, but she, she, was, she was very well loved by the, by the, um, the, the crew and the, and the cast because she's just very down to earth and easy to get along with and, and, 
and has a good temperament. Yeah. You did it for about six months? Eight months. Eight months. Mm. Would you have liked to have done it longer? Was it your decision to, to end it? Uh, oh, yeah, because I'd only signed up for three months and then they asked oh, right. me to extend. Um, no, I, I, I couldn't do more than that, not because I didn't enjoy it, but because it meant I was only home uh, on a Sunday and I had a small child. You know, yeah. My little one uh, would have only been about five uh, at that time and it's just not on to be away that much, you know. I know that after the first day's rehearsal, she said to me, where are you going today, Mum? So I'm going to work you again. <laughs> <laughs> I really think she thought it was like a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you did, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, any plans to, to do any more stage work? Um, well, funny enough, I do have plans to do um, more stage work. At, at Dawn French and I have um, a play in production that we are hoping to start working on uh, at some point uh, late spring of next year and, and hope to take on the road. Fantastic. You and Dawn French. Me and Dawn French. That's Two fat uh, babes. <laughs> I wasn't thinking along those lines. <laughs> I bet you were. No, I wasn't. I, wasn't. I bet you were thinking about that stage caving in, weren't you? <laughs> I was not going to go down that line. I am not that brave, but believe me. Listen, just because we're fat doesn't mean we're violent. <laughs> <laughs> but that should be quite a, quite a twosome. Well, she's she's been one of my best friends for uh, over twenty years, you know, right. and uh, and we and, and because of our jobs, we've had such a little opportunity to spend time together. And we just said, how fantastic for us to tour together, where we just be able to spend time together and and just really enjoy it. I, I I'm really looking forward to it. Brilliant. Thank you very much for that. As I say, I feel like a complete fool no, asking no, you that yesterday. I was in such a tizwaz yesterday. So excited about meeting you. Oh, how, how lovely of you. No, no, no don't, don't apologise too. It's lovely. All right, mate. Listen, I'll let you go now. Fantastic. You will not hear from me again, I promise. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> you take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I nearly kept my word. We did actually meet once more when she was singing on stage in Southend in 2009. And I'm desperately trying to find that interview because she actually sings to me as well live. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to find that and play that in the next uh, few weeks or so. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, you'll be hearing from the wonderful Marie Osmond. And it's one of those glorious interviews that I've done during the years. And when you just really hit it off straight away with your guest. Jimmy's a bit of a businessman, isn't he? Yes, he he is a little mogul, isn't he? Yes. (laughs) Did I say mole? No, you said mogul. (laughs) But you could have been right the first Uh, time. He's actually here, I believe. I think he's doing a, a, a play right outside London. And uh, Donnie's coming over next week. He's doing, what is it, the castle? Yeah, he's always here. I know. He's he's obnoxious, isn't he? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. He's your brother. I know. Yeah. He's wonderful. That's Marie Osmond next week on Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity.